Welcome to Failing Forward. Florence, can you introduce yourself for our audience today? Sure. Um, I am Florence Santos, and I am the Director of Impact Measurement and Analysis at Care USA, and I'm based in the Philippines, and I'm very excited to be here. Great. We are really delighted to have you joining us today. And the first question I'm going to ask you is, why is it important for us to talk about failure? Personally, I just think that failure is part of the process, but we don't talk about it as much or when we do we still sort of sugarcoat it or it's almost like we already succeeded and then talked about a failure but then we already have the answers sort of thing so I I do feel like because that happens quite a lot either a lot of us feel we are alone in those failures or um, ashamed for those failures but in fact I suspect that it's probably much more common than 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 success. The other part of that is sort of in, in our world where we want to fight in the injustice of poverty, something not really so easy to achieve. Uh, I I would believe that we sh- we must have been there must have been so many failures, and yet we don't talk as radically transparent about it as I feel like we should, and that if we do we would probably be a lot more effective in in doing that. Yeah, being radically transparent is so challenging. Saying, here's a thing that's not working and I I need to talk to someone about it. I can't just do this alone. It's something I think we're not always trained to do. Tell us about your example today. This example is a lot of our m and processes and assessments that we do. We've noticed a pattern that... When we see certain failures around systems or male capacity, there's a common recommendation to that we must need more trainings, we must produce more tools or guidelines or checklists, or that we need to redo what we have because this is clearly a problem. Which So basically, it's almost like the solution to the failure seems to be fueling the failure or definitely not helping it. Tell us a little more about that in the context of an organization that's running 1,600 projects a year in more than 100 different places. Tell us a little bit about what kinds of things we've been doing to try to solve when we see something go wrong, particularly in the m and space. So maybe I should give you a more specific example as to how this came up. We did this particular audit or assessments, almost like an action learning exercise to improve our impact measurement and reporting systems. Again, because it's so complex, we have so many projects and and sort of managing that whole thing, there, there's definitely room for improvement. And so we wanted to do that sort of assessment around it. And um, that involved just different teams at CARE, multiple regions, multiple functions, multiple impact area, areas. And so we found a lot of common themes of issues. And on this particular example, there were kind of recurring recurring issues that we found that relates what seems to relate to capacity gaps and to knowledge gaps around our um, impact measurement systems in general. And then 
every single region that's part of this kind of interdepartmental group basically recommended that we need to do more trainings and more regular trainings, additional trainings, because there's just a large capacity gap here or a large knowledge gap. And the other part of that, too, are examples of um, there were frameworks that they were saying that we need to be producing. Um, a particular one was that we need a template that would match a donor template and a care template around impact indicators, for example. And that's interesting because uh, last year we commissioned a humanitarian gap analysis and that was also a recommendation. And then looking into this, there was already actually a framework that's been, that's been done before doing exactly this. But then it's just been lost through turnover of meal focal points, etc. So we didn't know that that exists already. I say that because that particular one, if you look at that particular issue, that is relevant, that's actionable. It's a very sensible recommendation. But then... When you zoom out from it, you just realize that, wait a second, what's really underlying here are just other issues that's bigger than that. There's, for example, more constant project staff turnover, especially in humanitarian um, response, where project after an emergency, there would just be a staff turnover around it. And so it's hard to then sustain the, the impact of those trainings or those tools that you've already released and people were trained around them and yet they would leave the organization. It's just the nature of the work. And then there's also pain points around our information management platforms and processes that's sort of underlying those issues. And yet, if you just look at it from this particular angle, it seems like trainings and tools is a really good idea but zooming out and then you think about all the other areas where we have the same recommendations then you'd see that it doesn't make sense now when you look at it at that higher level it might just make sense on that th that one that you're looking at so if i can summarize unfairly because it's a generalization some of what you're saying is we look at a problem and the problem is we would like more consistency across this huge diversity of work that we're doing. And we want more consistency to meet a set of standards and a set of quality. And every time that comes up, then the diagnosis is, or the, the prescription, I suppose, is here, let's create a checklist. Let's create a tool. And that iterated out across the whole body of work, then we have so many tools and resources that we can't even keep up with them. And as new people come in and out, which is just the nature of the work, as you say, that's always going to happen, that there will be some turnover in staff. As new people come in and out, they don't know what the tools are because there are so many of them. They can't find them, so then they create a new one, uh, right? So That's the, exactly right. Mm -hmm. if, every, if, every, if what you have is a hammer, every problem is a nail, we've decided that the hammer is the checklist, but now we have lots and lots of them. What do we do next? Where do we go from there? I think this is an ongoing issue. This is not one where we have completely figured out what should we do or that we've already like solved this issue. <laughs> so I'm going to start with that one. I know what I'm not saying is that we really shouldn't do trainings. We shouldn't do tools. We shouldn't make them. That's definitely what, uh, that's not what I'm saying. But I think 
a few things that I can reflect for myself is that to begin with, if I have an ME related issue, and my first thought is that maybe we really need to create a tool for this, or we need to train people around this, or we need to sensitize them about these tools. I think pause and stop and and, and then think, have I actually looked up other alternatives aside from this? Um, is this really the underlying cost around this? I think it's just a good check for us. I think, am I making a shortcut on... Like, because that is a very common conclusion. And then also when we commission some of these assessments, I think we could also push consultants or push our colleagues when we see this, this is one example, but I think we have, we, we know of several of this like very common recommendations and push them to be like, have you looked up other alternatives on this? Do you think this is really the the underlying issue around this, and that if the answer to this is yes, and that it is really the answer, I think pushing again on not giving generalized comments around like, we should do more trainings, we should do more capacity strengthening, we should create more tools. Like, what about it? Do we need to change? Do we need to make something more interactive? Is it like we need specific case studies? Do we need accompaniment? Like something that pushes us from saying something so generic is probably where I would start. It's really interesting because I think we get both ends of the spectrum. One of them is very generic. There needs to be a training. There needs to be something else. Mm -hmm. The other end is very specific. I'm going to create a training about this one very tiny sliver that is my area of responsibility, but the person running that program has 18 areas of responsibility. And now what they get is a very mm -hmm. detailed checklist about each of those 18 areas. And if they were asked to apply them all, they would spend their day doing nothing else or a training or some kind of capacity building session. And so I actually think we run in both directions. One is we're much too generic. And the other is we are so specific and narrowly focused that that's part of what the proliferation is. Is there a way to balance that? I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier about it makes sense if I'm only looking at this particular problem. But if I zoom out of this, it doesn't make sense that there's a hundred of this. <laughs> um, and so... I think part of that is just what's the check in the organization where there is either a, a department, a group, or a moment, whatever that might be, that would be able to zoom out. Because it's not something we have to be specific about a particular diagnosis and, a, and an issue we're solving. Otherwise, it's never going to be actionable. But then the consequence of that are these things also where we are so narrowly focused on what we're doing that it makes sense for our own thing, but it doesn't make sense as an organization. Like, I think there should be a structure or a particular um, sort of culture within the organization that there's always an ability for us to zoom out and see, hey, is this making sense as a whole or is something else underlying this? And maybe another layer to that also is that it sometimes when you're when you are diagnosing a symptom and that's what you're able to control and therefore you act on that, that's okay. Because if say the underlying issue is 
is an MIS uh, that will cost millions of dollars. <laughs> and you can't just wait around for that to happen. So you have to solve this particular issue right now. And the best that you can do really is just to provide that simple tool, do that training so they can do their work, right? Let's just say that's the example. In that case, I would probably say we should be thinking about how to right-size that approach because that awareness of, I know that I this isn't going to be the ultimate solution would mean for me that it's not going to be a sustainable solution. And then at some point, we're going to have this problem again. So having that in mind, I could be thinking more about how much investment do I put on this particular tool I'm building, right-sizing that approach because we know that it's not going to be sustainable could also be helpful. And I think about... Um, a few years ago, one of the big UN agencies released a report on sort of 10 years of their knowledge management and learning function. Uh-huh. And essentially what they came to is that despite their initial planning and thinking about what learning really meant, what it ultimately became was investing in creating a lot of beautiful online classes. Uh-huh. And because that was very tangible, it was very concrete As the team instructed with delivering it, you could say, yes, we have now created the class. The class is available online. So it has a very product attached to it. It has a deliverable attached to it. You can say, look, see progress. And that ultimately that wasn't serving learning in the way that it needed to, because learning is more than just online classes. So as we think about that, what are some of the key things you would solve if we said, you know what, no more trainings? no more checklists, no more workshops. Those are not on your suite of options for the next steps. Then where would you go? What would you recommend? I would say going back to what's the underlying cost that you're of, of the issue, especially if it's recurring. So it's not going to be, there, I don't think there's going to be like, don't do trainings, do X instead. I feel like it will definitely be like, what What do we think is the issue here? Is the issue related to a combination of incentives or culture or to whatever that may be? It could be technology. It could be, it could be a range of things is um, what I'm saying. But I, I think we, we could probably spend that time going straight to doing trainings and assessing it as a capacity gap. Uh, and spend that time instead on looking at the underlying problem and then figuring out if it's better for us to start solving that. There was an HBR article in 2019 around this that says like U.S. companies had spent $90 billion on on training and development acti- activities in 2017. And there's always that on the one hand, the benefits of employee development is the argument. On the other hand, the painful lack of results around that. So I feel like the underlying message that the, that, that article was also saying is that training or tools or all of that could be useful at times when it is addressing the, the problem that it can solve. But then when you're using that as sort of a band-aid for the underlying problem, it's just not going to, to help. And, and in fact, it's really wasting donor money in our case. So I don't have a specific answer as to what we should do instead, because I do think that it will be very different based on how we've really identified that particular problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. 
I was in Indonesia earlier this year doing some work with garment factories and the garment factory owners said no trainings, whatever <laughs> projects you're doing, whatever you're trying to roll out, no trainings. We have too many trainings. We don't have time for that. And it was incredibly thought provoking to say, mm -hmm. once that gets removed from your toolkit, what's next? Because mm -hmm. it is the first stop almost all the time, mm -hmm. right? Is we'll just do more capacity building. And that extends well beyond the M&E space and well mm -hmm. beyond care. If you think about all of the dollars that have gone into capacity building around the mm -hmm. world, it's, it's not just internal, right? It's we'll do capacity building in communities. We'll do various kinds of things. Um, there's other pieces in play there. How can we get ourselves better at thinking, let's, let's try two more options before we just land on capacity building is our next step. How do we build that muscle? Me personally, it's that one I said earlier, which is if there are certain conclusions that come to my mind that I'm like, I've read this elsewhere. Is this really my idea? Is this really what the answer is? And that I should always ask, have I thought of alternatives? What if that's not on the table? Like the example you gave, what are other options? You know, when we have FAQs, frequently asked questions, we should have frequently supplied solutions or something, <laughs> right? And so there's certain things like this. I know this is a bit off tangent, but another one that when I commission an evaluation, I would already tell an evaluator, if you're just going to tell me that and the conclusion of this or your recommendation for this project is it needs more funding, you need more money or something along those lines, we, you have to go deeper than that because that's another very common one. Like, yes, you should spend more resources on this or something like that. And I feel like this is another one. It is really common for us to say maybe we need a quick checklist because this other one is so complicated and maybe that's the issue or a template may be better because the guidance wouldn't tell them exactly how they should do it themselves and it's examples like this really saying like look it seems like this is not just a care problem. It is not just an M&E problem. Many other organizations are probably having the same issues and really looking at, are they working? Maybe a very concrete answer is that we should really be pushing that, that we have a way to evaluate whether the skills we wanted to be, to be acquired or transferred through that capacity strengthening is in fact acquired or transferred. And that if there's no assessment attached to it, then there's a harder criteria that would say, we're not going to do capacity strengthening if you can't tell us whether this is going to work or not. And one of the things I think about is how much of some of these pieces is just a foundational investment you have to make. And I think about if you were an organization in the United States today and you said, you know what? We're not going to pay for internet because it's a recurring cost that mm. you just have to keep doing over and over again. And that's boring and frustrating and, and it's not paying off. So we're just not going to pay for internet anymore. Everyone would acknowledge that that was a poor choice, right? That like the trade-offs of it is a recurring cost. It happens every month. We don't mm -hmm. see additional gains every month because of it. Everyone would acknowledge that was a poor choice. How many of these kinds of capacity building problems are ones that we just have to acknowledge are recurring investments you have to make for organizations and work to function. That is so that is so true. That definitely resonates. Um in fact, we you would see in in a lot of recommendations that you'd see are like there are 
you could do trainings. And then there's an underlying issue around your information platforms, or there's an underlying issue around something foundational, really. And yet the one that they would pick up would be the seems like the easy win such as a training and a faster one also and the other ones get ignored to your point it's not sexy to invest on this foundational ones unless it comes to a level of of organizational risk or fraud it's just not something that we want to spend a lot of money on and then not really get sort of a big bang of a result. It more just like lifts us up to a particular level. And donor, it's also really hard to fundraise for those. And maybe that's also another aspect of this. In order for us to do effective development work, somebody has to pay for the the foundations of this, right? It cannot be that uh, we could just do this without the basic foundational things that needs to be in place in order to be able to do uh, the hard work that we're doing. And then how do we think about the difference between this is basic and foundational and this is a band-aid, this is a very niche solution, we're addressing a short-term problem about something very specific without looking at the underlying structure. How do we fall on that spectrum or how do we at least build ourselves a feedback loop so we know how to think about the problem? When we think about problems like this, whatever it is that we're looking at, it would be good to not just look one side, like going down, but look sideways and look up. Because I don't think we would be able to know whether this is an underlying issue unless you have that sort of broader scanning. It's certainly one to me that idea of broader scanning and stepping back and saying, how has this problem been solved before? One of the examples, and everybody will acknowledge information management is incredibly challenging for many organizations and there's billions of dollars that go into it. And also there's a habit of, I hear all the time, people say, oh, there's nothing for that. I say there, there are three things for that. And they're like, well, I don't really like any of those. So I want a new one. And it's like, mm, do, but do you need a new one? Um, right. And that sort of I want, I want a better one because I want to add this subcomponent that's my personal area of interest. And it's like, is that better? What is the value of creating a new thing versus using an existing thing? And I think we're often not good at, at checking that. And we're not good at scanning to say, is there an existing thing that covers 60 or 70 or 80% of what I want? And the trade-off on sort of change management and introducing more complexity into a system versus using something that's already there. I think we're all, we're not really trained to do it that way most of the time. The number that knowledge managers talk about is that people will spend on average 30 seconds looking for something before they give up and create it again. I think there's just a pull towards creating something new. It's just more exciting, right? Rather than like, look at what's existing already. When we got funding, building our data literacies as an organization at CARE, we decided that we're not going to build a new course. We basically asked people, 
what are your data literacy gaps and needs? What particular data literacy training would you want to take? And how would this solve an issue related to your current role and your current job? And then we got all of these applications and then we picked the ones that seem to have a very strong case. And then we gave them a list of online courses that's already available out there and said, okay, uh, pick the one that you'd like to take. And then I remember being pleasantly surprised at the impact that has had. Like we've got examples from all over the organization. There was something around better advocacy tracking. There was something around better identifying participants. That seemed to work. So maybe a bit more of that. That might be a good <laughs> alternative for people to think about. We could also be a lot more um, innovative at that thinking. And we could also pitch something where we didn't feel like we need to create something so the donor will like our idea. And one of the things about that example you gave that I think was really powerful and frankly a little controversial at the time was that it was entirely demand-driven, right? It was, mm -hmm. we will help you match to existing resources based on your need and not, we mm -hmm. will tell you what we need, what you need. And we will then provide the solution for what we think your problem is. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying, we're going to design the guidance, it the power was in the hands of the M&E officers. And one of the goals there was it had a large percentage of that had to go to people based in the global south, right? That was That's one right. of the, mm -hmm. the goals there. And so it was much more demand driven and much less we at headquarters are going to tell you what the right answer is. And then we're going to provide all the tools for the problem we have diagnosed on your behalf. Exactly. So if you could go back and do it all over again, what would you do differently now? I definitely, as I said, I definitely am one of those who have many times said we need to create a better guideline. I think the main thing, again, is just challenging that thinking. And then the second is probably to advocate more on the solutions that I do think are the underlying problems rather than pick the ones that are going to be quick wins. We should, we should say, this is what we can do now. And I can tell you that it will cost this much and it will get us up to this point. But then you have to invest in X, Y, and Z in order for this to be sustainable. I think being very clear about that and having that, spreading that to my team, spreading that to consultants would be helpful. And talking about it to a larger group as well. I think the last piece there is that piece about assessing these trainings and assessing any of these capacity strengthening. In other parts of our work, we are really insistent about evaluating something. And yet when it comes to tools and trainings, especially tools, we don't do it. I say when I put out something, I'm going to have a way to assess if this is going to work or not. And a plan to take it down if it doesn't. And a plan to take it down and it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. I, I love all of those ideas. And one that I'm thinking about as I hear you talk is this idea of how do we if we are doing a short-term solution, how do mm. we make sure that that's driving us in the direction of a long-term solution instead right. of pulling resources away? Right. How do you try to 
angle the solution you're putting in place now in the direction of the long-term solution instead of just sort of dropping it. I'm going to ask one more question. If you had one piece of advice or one call to action for the people who are listening to this podcast, what is it? If you ever think that this problem needs a training, stop and think, have you thought of an alternative? I'll stop there. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you so much, Florence. It's been a delight to have you on the call. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and your expertise and being willing to talk about failure. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Emily.